Sony. Hello, Canada. Today's date is September 25th, 2022. Welcome to a full edition of Canadian Common Sense, Canada's Issues in Under an Hour. It is Tony in Manitoba today. And Lewis out here in BC. So to start off, I do want to apologize for the audio. Um, your humble host recording is literally recording on the side of the road outside of Dauphin, Manitoba. So you might hear a few cars driving by. Uh, apologies for that. Other than that, how are you, Lewis? Oh, you know, it's uh, fall. It's, um, it's uh, you know, the summer's... The summer's winding down and uh, the temperatures are dropping. So, you know, that part is nice. Um, although uh, we'll touch on it in the show, but, you know, the weather and that is not so nice out east. So, yeah, exactly right. So, uh, actually, I gotta say, speaking of fall, man, oh man, I, lo- I do love fall in the prairies. Northern Manitoba is beautiful with all the uh, hills and valleys and, and trees. I'm going to try to snap a picture to put up on our 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 facebook page because there's some amazing scenery out here hills and valleys you're talking to a guy in bc (laughs) you have mountains and valleys (laughs) it's like little dips (laughs) (laughs) yes that's true all right so on the show today fiona makes landfall teachers in oakville make the news an update on the Sanderson case in Saskatchewan, R.I.P. Carol Pierce, the Polyev effect, and more. Where do you want to start, sir? Well, let's start with the big news of the day, and that's uh, Tropical Storm Fiona making landfall in uh, eastern Canada. Yeah, absolutely. Our uh, thoughts certainly go out to our uh, our brothers and sisters on the East Coast. Now, I saw yesterday some footage from Glace Bay and also from Sydney of trees downed and power lines out. And in one case, I think it was in Sydney where I saw there was a car wash that the whole roof uh, and one wall got taken out. So there's been some carnage. Now, uh, yeah, yeah, there has, and there's been houses that have been washed out to sea. Um, there's, uh, there's been, there's been a lot of damage. There's people missing. There's, um, I think nearly 500,000 people are out without power and, uh, there's homes that are completely destroyed. Yeah. And, um, when I was watching the news, I saw Bill Blair on CTV saying that they've, government has already enlisted the military to come help with the cleanup if necessary. And of course they, you know, Justin Trudeau wants everybody to know that the government has your back. So, uh, I'm guessing that means there's going to be some more federal aid coming and there needs to be. So, uh, yeah, Yeah. I'm I'm hoping that, uh, they get through it, but. Yeah. I mean, it's obviously the federal government's going to send aid and, and as they should, I mean, Oh yeah. It's the, this is one, this is the kind of event where the government should be involved with, with, um, you know, the recovery, uh, you know, you and I are very, uh, anti government help for most things, but this is one of those things where, you know, we fully support it. Yeah, absolutely. And I, uh, I messaged with uh, my cousin yesterday as uh, he and his wife are retired and they actually RV around North America as a retirement project, I guess. And he's currently in Nova Scotia. So I was just asking him how things were where he was. And he was in Halifax and then they uh, they moved up to Amherst. So they're a little further inland. And he said there was just, it was windy as hell and a lot of rain, but no, uh, not not as nearly as much carnage as what they were seeing in places like PEI and in, like in Sydney or in Glace Bay where I was watching the footage. So glad that they're okay and he said he was so impressed at how laid back the people are out there and he said that people essentially had the attitude well it could have been a lot worse so you know we can we can rebuild and i was really impressed with uh you know him well he would he at least how he relayed it to me is of how you know positive and upbeat everybody is in spite of the storm crashing down around them yeah the um the storm you know, made landfall in Nova Scotia, uh, and it went right through uh, Cape Breton Island. 
Um, I mean, that's that's where a good chunk of the damage is, is Cape Breton Island. Uh, it continued up to uh, the west coast of Newfoundland, which um, I don't know how rare that is for for the storms to go that route, if if it is rare or not. But I always I always uh, remember seeing the storms coming, you know, kind of up the east coast of Newfoundland and then back out to sea or, or you know, dying off into uh, out to sea. Uh, but it went up the west coast of Newfoundland between you know Newfoundland and the mainland, and uh, and that is where it seems that the majority of the of the major damages is on the, that west coast of Newfoundland. That's where you hear about the houses being washed away, um, being completely destroyed. I believe that that's where even the missing people are too, is in that area. Yeah, I believe I heard there was a lady who'd, who'd uh, presumed washed out to sea, so that's that's awful. Yeah, that is terrible. And um, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't want to diminish what, what what's happening out there i just want to you know say that you know i i think i think one thing you're gonna you're gonna see in the coming days is people blaming climate change for this and um uh and that's just bs uh this is something that has happened before many times this is not anything new this is something that people on the East Coast know that they will have to deal with because this is something that happens from time to time. Um, this is the this is the only major storm to make landfall this year, um, and people don't aren't even like they 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 kept saying that we're going to see way more tropical storms, way more hurricanes, way more damage from it all. Um, this is the only one that has made landfall this year. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because exactly right. It's going to come out. People are going to say, oh, yeah, it's climate change. It's all the fault of you evil corporations, oil and gas, yada, yada, yada. I get all that. And I don't agree with them. But you're right. This is the first one that's hit hit land. It's almost October. And it's and being Fiona, that's the sixth letter of the alphabet. So only the sixth tropical storm to uh to come up the ocean this year um i'm actually thinking that's a good thing i mean i hate that it that it made landfall but but yay we've only had six hurricanes this year yeah and and like we said only one that made landfall um this is kind of the opposite of what we were told was going to happen so uh you know i'm i'm glad to uh to be able to say that this is the only one that's at landfall this year, but the damage and the carnage that, that it it left in its wake is is hor- horrible, and it's and I and in my thoughts and and all that is with the uh, the people back east. Um, I have like my closest and longest friend lives in New Brunswick. Um, he said that they just kind of got the edges of the storm at his place. That it was. Uh, uh, they just kind of got some wind, um, no damage, uh, nothing, nothing horrible because they were kind of on the outer edge of it, uh, which which was good. But um, but the people who were affected by it, you know, like oh, man, it's horrible, and I feel for you. I hope I hope the cleanup, um, you know, happens quickly. Uh, I hope people get their power back quickly, although from what I've seen, it could take a couple of weeks to get all the power back. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I hope that uh, the government pulls, you know, pulls through and does what they say they're going to do and doesn't leave people in the lurch. Yep, well said. So uh, from the East Coast, let's move into the middle of the country. We've got a couple of stories from right in my backyard in Saskatchewan. First of all, Miles Sanderson. Um, we all know that name, unfortunately, because of the stabbing rampage of a few weeks ago. And there was some questions. The coroner and, and the RCMP were being very coy initially about his cause of death because we all saw the photos of him 
up against the police car being arrested and he was laughing he seemed quite jovial and then he very quickly died in custody and the police were very mum about what happened then a couple of days ago there was a statement from the coroner in Saskatchewan who said that he did not die from blunt force trauma and we're like okay and then turns out a couple of days after that statement that we learned that Miles Sanderson died of a drug overdose. So we have to assume that he must have ingested something prior to being arrested. Yeah. Um, why would they say that he did not die from blood force trauma? Well, that's what I'm wondering. I wonder, I wonder if that's sort of a way for the of a, a CYA move, you know, cover your... <clears throat> Uh, on the police's part, because I think there was some some murmurs, at least in Saskatchewan, that you know maybe the police roughed him up or something, and that's why he died in custody. So I, I think that that was sort of to clear the air on that issue. Yeah, I mean that was something I brought up on the show too, as as a bit of speculation, um, that you know maybe the police had taken matters into their own hands or something, but. Um, it just it just seems weird that that the coroner would come out and say that something did not kill him. Yeah. <laughs> um. So is there evidence of blunt force trauma? Is that why they said that? Um. I mean, I, I think obviously. I mean, as we're going to learn um, in a few minutes. I mean, after we talk about this this part of it, we're going to talk about another bit of information that came out in the last few days. Um, there's got to be a public inquiry into this. There really does, yeah. Um, yeah, the whole he did not die of blunt force trauma thing needs to be explained a lot better. And, yeah. And, okay, I get it, he died of an overdose, but, I mean, yeah, we're, there's a lot of details we're not getting. And then, um, yeah, apparently Sky Sanderson, who was the wife of Damien Sanderson, uh, had called the RCMP... Prior to this whole stabbing spree, actually, you had added some information that I hadn't heard either, so I'll let you take off with this one. Yeah, she had uh, she had called the RCMP and said that her um, husband and brother-in-law had taken her SUV and were um, threatening people. Um, and uh, the RCMP came out, they found her her car and brought the car back to her but made no effort to find her husband and his brother yeah and that's really bizarre considering the fact that there was actually a warrant out for the arrest of miles sanderson for uh i'm not sure if it was breach of parole conditions but i mean he had such a long strain of criminal charges who knows which one they were well, allegedly looking for him for, but yeah, they made no effort to try to find him and bring him in, even though there were warrants out for his arrest. Well, and he had over 50 prior convictions, most of which were violent. Right. Um, and and his sister-in-law is telling you that he's, uh, he's threatening people and you don't try to find him? Yeah, there's... Uh, that is really, really odd. I mean, that's something you're right. That does. That, I mean, speaking of public inquiry, I mean, what the hell? I, I don't know what excuse the RCMP is going to come up with for why they chose not to take that action. But uh, this whole thing really stinks. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of unanswered questions. I mean, there's, you know, I mean, it's not quite on the level of the Nova Scotia shooting. Uh, inquiry, but there's a lot of unanswered questions here. A lot of things that need to be answered. Um, uh, I mean, it's like I said, it's not on the level of the Nova Scotia shooting where every single part of that stinks. Um, yeah. Th this, this one, there's like just some stuff that happened before and things that happened after that don't make any sense. Yeah. Um, Whereas with the Nova Scotia shooting, everything from start to finish doesn't make sense. Yeah, that's true. And actually, we'll, we'll dovetail that to our next Saskatchewan story, because speaking of, this doesn't make any sense. Now, I say the name Carol Pierce. Uh, 
she's not the only one, but she's going to be the symbol for what I'm going to say are probably hundreds of people across this country. Carol Pierce was a Saskatchewan grandma. She lives in Saskatoon. Full disclosure, her and her daughter actually babysat my kids for one summer many, many years ago. And uh, that was why when I saw the name on the news story that uh, it really tripped my memory because, well, I, you know, was at least acquainted with her. Now, Carol Pierce went to get her third or get her COVID booster shot. Didn't say if it was her third, just said it was a booster shot. She went to get a booster shot, and I can say the, the name of the drugstore. It's Shoppers Drug Mart, because that's all over the media. So I don't want to say the exact location, although you can find that when you read the story, but I don't want us to get uh, any legal action. So Carol went to this Shoppers Drug Mart to get her COVID booster, was texting with her daughter that, yeah, I'm going for my shot, and I'm just waiting my 15 minutes. And that was the last her daughter heard from her, because before her 15 minutes was up, Carol Pierce died. Um, she died right there in the store. Uh, according to the attending doctor, she died before she hit the floor. And she died of natural causes, which I think is a little weird. Yeah. Um, our listeners will know that I, I brought up some information on our last show about how the boosters were not even human there were no human trials for the for the boosters the boosters uh the pfizer booster was trialed on eight mice there were no and pfizer refuses to release the data from those eight mice um but they were given a uh, authorization anyway uh this is uh, the timing of this is just insane because I had just talked about this on the last show. Yeah, it didn't happen actually just a couple of days before our last show, but I was hesitant to, to talk about it because there was only one person on Twitter had brought it up, and I thought, well, I wanted to wait and get a bit more more information first, and then, uh, yeah, now the, the story is starting to take off, so I feel more comfortable talking about it. But, yeah, I mean, it's awful that Miss Pierce it was... A human trial and like i say i know there's many more across the country that we don't know about yeah no it's true and i mean because a lot of a lot of the people that have had severe side effects have had you know who have died um are being put down as you know natural causes not not you know, not related to the vaccine. I don't know how you can, how you can say it was not related to the vaccine when, when it was like less than 15 minutes after. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's, uh, I don't get oh, that. Yeah, and, yeah. and of course the, uh, government was more than happy to talk about COVID deaths while we were all locked down to keep us all afraid. And now they're afraid to admit COVID deaths. Well, I guess it's the vaccine death, not a COVID, not a COVID death, but yeah, it's, uh, yeah, the narrative's really, uh, huh, well, this narrative stinks as well. So. Yeah, it's interesting because if you had, if you tested positive for COVID within 30 days of dying, it doesn't matter why you died, you're counted as a COVID-related death. How, how, how is it that she's not considered a COVID vaccine-related death? Well, exactly. And then uh, and I think you had said there's people that you know who have you know suffered greatly some side effects oh. from vaccines. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's I, I I've been finding out even more in the last. I, I found out a, 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 about a couple more people in the last couple of days. I, I found out that there was a woman. Um, uh, I mean, I spoke to her myself, who who had her period for four straight months and never stopped. Ew. Yeah. Wow. I mean, my like my wife and my daughter had had issues after the vaccine my cousin was uh, hospitalized uh had an emergency appendectomy which apparently emergency appendectomy skyrocketed after the vaccines came in um they said that that is one of the most common uh adverse side effects is is uh is appendicitis severe appendicitis um he also had uh, a myo 
endocarditis that put him in the hospital for a bit. Uh, they, I know three three men my age, and I'm not very old. I'm only forty five. Three men my age who were all athletes, including one that was a triathlete, who all had strokes within twelve days of their uh, of their shot. Uh, the triathlete ended up being uh, permanently paralyzed. Uh, he will never walk again. Insane. Um, I have, and, I, and I've heard of several other people that that um, have had some pretty bad side effects, and and they're just. Again, nobody is saying that it was because of the vaccines. Like they're just—it's like they're—they're they're afraid to. Like there was a uh, in the states. I'm trying to remember that they said that they did not want to release the the numbers of adverse side effects for people from the age of. 20 to 50 I believe or 20 to 45 or something like that because it would it would contribute to vaccine hesitancy <laughs> and it's like uh, may, okay that's that's interesting you know like they don't want that's part of that whole thing where I was talking on the last episode about about informed consent we didn't have informed consent over the past year and a half. We were told you get the vaccine or you're not allowed to work. You're not allowed to travel. You're not allowed to go to restaurants. You're not allowed to go to stores in some places. Um, and they were, they were withholding data and information because it might contribute to vaccine hesitancy. Yeah. And, uh, Little do they think that through that the fact that they're withholding data and information would contribute more to vaccine hesitancy. Yeah, I mean, like this is there's something really, really wrong here, and and this is why in the last episode I said that you know I think I think Canadians should, as a whole, you know, as many people as you can possibly get together have a class action lawsuit against the government because we did not have informed consent when taking the, the vaccine over the past year and a half. And that is a tenet of the healthcare act is having informed consent. Yeah, that's true. So, All right. So from uh, informed consent to, well, informed insanity, let's go to Oakville, Ontario. Uh, there was an article you took some interest in out there. Oh, boy. I mean, everybody in the country knows about this one. I mean, I'm not telling anybody anything they didn't know yet. <laughs> I mean, there's there's a, a, a biologically male teacher uh, who teaches shop at a high school in Oakville and um, came to work this year wearing enormous, like, beach ball sized prosthetic breasts with giant hard nipples on them and wore little tiny spandex shorts and uh, a like skin tight top over, over these enormous fake breasts and um, and began teaching shop class. And when I say beach ball sized, I really mean beach ball sized. Like if you look at the photos or the video of it, it's they're comically large. Oh yeah. Like like down to his waist. Large, like they're enormous, highly inappropriate, highly inappropriate, and and it's just, I, in what world is this okay? 
that's probably the good question right there. Yeah, and the school initially came out in full support of the teacher. Yeah, they were they were quite happy. The it was Stephen Lecce, the education minister, was yeah proud of this teacher for expressing, well, I guess herself and her new identity. But I don't think the teacher's actually un, actually undergone any kind of like surgery yet, has he? Not as far as I know. Yeah, and uh, yeah, because you look at it, and uh, well, he still looks very manly, other than having those huge beach balls tucked in that shirt. Yeah. It's uh it's kind of disgusting to look at, really. Yeah. I mean, this is There's a way to do it tastefully. This was not it. I mean, I I I'm just I don't know what is going on. Like honestly, I went there was a a, a meeting at my at my kids high school this week and I went in to go to this meeting and you would not believe like I had no idea I had not been in my kids high school in a couple of years and I went in to uh, go to this meeting and it's just it's like the walls are plastered with pride flags everywhere and slogans of inclusivity and, and all of this everywhere. Even the stairs going from one level to the next on the, the, the step rise, like the part that's facing you when you're walking up the steps, all have rainbow flags and slogans on each step. Wow. And, and the library had, had no fewer than six rainbow flags. Like, the, it's... I, you know, okay, we've talked about these numbers before, but I'm going to bring them up again. Every generation has a little bit more uh, uh, people who I, who self-identify as LGBTQ. Okay? I can't remember the other letters and numbers, so that's as far as I'm going with it. <laughs> uh, there's... They have gone... Uh, if you look at if you look at like the gr- the greatest generation, that's that's the pre world like World War Two generation, I believe. Yeah. Uh, that they they had uh, something like I believe it's right around three percent that self-identify as LGBTQ. The baby boomers have, I believe it's somewhere around three and a half to four percent that self-identify as LGBTQ. Generation X, which is my generation and your generation, have somewhere in the four and a half percent range that that uh, self-identify as LGBTQ. No generation has more than, I believe it's around 5.2-5.3% that self-identify as LGBTQ. No generation until you get to Generation Z. And that's the current generation that's in high school. And the current generation has 20%. Oh my gosh. 20%. Wow. 400% higher than the than the generation before it. That is insane! Holy, like there's a reason why. Okay, and it's because we're pushing this on kids now. But we totally are. Like it, it's complete insanity. I mean, there's a court case going on in Canada right now for because there's a nurse that is being sued or something uh, because for being transphobic. And but none of the witnesses can agree on what words mean. Like it, it's they they I. There's an article on the post-millennial, and 
it is just trying to find it here i had it now i'm gonna just find it there's a there's an article in the post millennial if you go there to uh, uh to read it it is entitled uh well i don't know what the title is but it says exclusive expert witness testifies that being a lesbian is transphobic in trial against bc nurse now if you can read this article and actually understand it, uh, more power to you. Because I read it and I can't even understand it because of all the terminology being used, and I don't because I don't understand what any of these words mean. And apparently, neither do the witnesses because they can't even agree on what <laughs> different terminology means. Oh my gosh! And, uh, I mean, there's. Apparently, there's a new gender identity called eunuch. I don't, I don't even know what the hell that is. Um, we'll see. And, and then there's, uh, you know, have you have you heard of W Path? Nope. Okay, W Path is the. Uh, uh, it is a transgender health advocacy group. Okay. Um, the I'm just going to read a little bit here, and it says, "As Saywitch, the that's the name of uh, this this witness, is a member of W Path." Basto, the lawyer, inquired as to whether she agreed with the organization's recognition of eunuch as a gender identity. I have to admit. I did see a chapter entitled that, replied the witness, referring to the latest standards of care, but I have not read that chapter. Still on the subject of WPATH, Savage was asked for her thoughts on the member who requested that pedophiles be referred to as minor attracted persons in order to reduce stigma. But Savage was not aware that a member of WPATH had said it, but she would not agree with it. Confusion of terminology was a recurrent theme throughout the day's proceedings, with, with Basto using terms referring to biological reality, while Sewage spoke the language of gender identity ideology. At one point, Basto was asked by Brent Olfius, counsel for the uh, BC Nurses uh, Federation, who announced he, him pronouns, to refer to biological males who identify as women as transgender women because the college felt other terms were disrespectful and denigrating. This is a demand to concede that gender identity is paramount to biological sex in a case about whether or not that, a that is a mandatory belief for a nurse to hold. More confusion occurred later when discussion moved to the topic of cotton sealing. A term coined to describe the barrier, heterosexual males who, who identify as women and therefore believe themselves to be lesbians face when trying to find a lesbian partner. The term derives from the, ideal, from the idea that biological males who identify as lesbians cannot get into lesbians' underwear, which is because lesbians are same-sex attracted. Trans rights activists have claimed that lesbians ought to be same-gender attracted and accept biological males who identify as lesbians into their pool for prospective partners. What? Wow. Wow, uh, is right. I'm taking this in and, uh, I mean, I can't believe what you're reading. I have to because you're, you're reading the article. Uh I've got nothing, and I've always got something to say. I mean, this is this is a court case, and nobody on the none of the witnesses can agree what any of the terms mean. <laughs> and so, how can this nurse possibly be guilty? No kidding. When the witnesses can't even agree. So, I mean, and and since when is it a crime to not hold the same belief as someone else? I mean, I'm just getting so sick and tired of this. I, I mean, this is this is the craziness that we're dealing with now. If I was the judge in this case, I would have like thrown my hands up in the air and gone, "I'm out," because <laughs> I don't understand any of what's being said. The witnesses don't even understand what they're saying, and I, I just no, 
no, no, just throw this out. Like, I, I don't know how this court case keeps going ahead and how teachers like this one in Oakville have, have get public support. I mean, luckily in Oakville, parents and students are protesting outside the school now. Yes, which, thankfully. Which is great because parents are finally standing up and, and letting their voices be heard because, like I said, 20% of this current generation that's in high school is, is identifying as LGBT. And my, even my kids, when they came, when they got home from their first day of school this year, said they each, both of them had multiple students in their grades that in June were not LGBT and first day of school, they are now identifying as trans. All of them were trans, all of them. And they were all girls. Wow. Unreal. So, uh, you know what? I think we should just leave that one right there because that's that is pure insanity. So let's uh, let's move on to another form of insanity. And you referred to Polyev derangement syndrome last week. It sure continues. Uh, first, it was can't wait for that clash of the titans, uh, Polyev and Trudeau, or depending which media outlet you let you pay attention to. Pierre is going to wipe the floor with Trudeau. Oh, Trudeau's a fighter. He can't wait for the challenge. Well, Trudeau did spend one day in Parliament squaring off with Pierre. Yeah, and Pierre did kind of wipe the floor with him. Um, because Trudeau just gives canned answers. Uh, I mean, this is this is something that we've seen right from day one. Uh, in question period, the liberals read off of answer sheets that have been given to them. So they, they, what they do is when they're asked a question, they go, oh, crap, that question wasn't on my answer sheet. Um, I'll just pick one. And they just read some obscure answer that has nothing to do with the question being asked. Or they, they have one that is closely related to the question, and they read that one. I mean, and, and the thing is that the prime minister is one of the people guilty of this. He, he just reads the answers off a sheet. He holds it right in front of his face. Yep. <laughs> I mean, I mean, the thing is, is that it depends on which media outlet you, you listen to, uh, to know what really happened. But I mean, I, I say, you know what, go and just watch it. Like you can find it on, uh, on CPAC or I, you can probably even find it on, on, uh, on YouTube, because I know I know Pierre Polyev and the Conservative Party post the videos of Question Period on YouTube, and you watch it for yourself. You don't need any news outlet to tell you what happened. Just go watch it yourself. I mean, if you look at what happened, I mean, Pierre Polyev asked really hard questions. Trudeau gave really crappy answers that don't mean anything. Um, but if you read the Toronto Star, uh, it was it was like all leave and you know informant, you know, like these oh, like yeah. two, two legendary boxers going at it, and and you know Trudeau coming out on top, and it's like no, that isn't what happened, not at all, and and this and this. Polyev derangement syndrome is crazy. I mean, the Toronto Star is still super obsessed with Pierre Polyev. I mean, there's an article out this morning. Pierre Polyev says that the relief package from the government is going to hurt uh, is going to hurt the Canadian economy and make inflation worse. It won't, and here's why. Right, like. Like th this is the crap that the Toronto Star keeps printing all week, every day. Yep, and they were quite happy to run the uh, the article, and they thought it was the Globe for that matter, to quote Jagmeet Singh saying that old Pierre Polyev is against de dental care for Canadians when taxpayers have paid his dental care since he was in his 20s. It's like, yeah, it's called a benefits plan, you dork. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's... 
It's something that comes with the job, right? I mean, it's something I, I wish didn't come with the job and that they, they would have a, a typical benefits package like the rest of us do through Great West Life or something and not a taxpayer-funded one. But yeah. but but it is what it is, right? And Jagmeet Singh is one to talk because he gets it too. Um, and, and, I mean, Jagmeet Singh, is, it, has he become completely irrelevant or what? Well, I th- I think so. I mean, he's uh, he's the laughing stock of Parliament. He l- likes to claim he has power, but he continually capitulates to the Liberals, even when they don't really give him what he asked for. Yeah, we, well, I mean, uh, and let's be let's be real. That's a that's a hallmark quality of NDP leaders. Even the great Jack Layton did the same thing uh, because. They're always broke. The party's always broke. Cannot afford to run a, a, a campaign or or to force an election. So they just go along with whatever the liberals say uh, until someone else forces an election. Yeah, actually, let's let's get on that because we are getting close on time here. You had suggested, whether it was on the show or whether it was just when you and I were talking, that, uh, that hey, the... the Stakes are kind of lining up right now that maybe there will be an election. Yeah, I mean, I, I still think that that might happen. Um, I think that uh, I think that the uh, I, I think that with with the you know the the Polyev effect right now, which is that the conservatives' support is going up continuously they're actually they've actually got uh, according to the latest poll uh over 40 percent support which is majority territory um so i think that you know with that happening with uh the trudeau government um reversing its own decisions on uh the arrive can app uh mandatory vaccines for uh, international flying and for coming back into the country, all of those things, like they're reversing all of that uh, as, as of the end of this month, that's, that's all gone. Um, and it's only because Polly have won leadership. Uh, I think that, you know, they're, they're seeing their chances of winning again, slipping away. So I think, I think you're going to see with, with Trudeau making these decisions to get rid of the arrive can app. Uh, and, uh, and, and, you know, removing the rest of the mandates, he's going to come out and proclaim that he defeated COVID. And then they're going to run the election campaign based on having defeated COVID. I can actually see that path, um, especially when Joe Biden said the pandemic is over in the U.S. So that makes it easier for Justin Trudeau to say that here. And the fact that that's all that the media is talking about right now, as far as the CBC, the CTVs of the world are, are concerned, they're keeping that in the news because when Pierre Polyev was campaigning for leader, he talked about getting rid of mandates, you know, scrapping arrive can, et cetera, et cetera. So now that this is happening all on its own because the order in council is expiring, yeah, the, uh, the mainstream media, the barking seals they are, are now touting this as a Trudeau success. So, I mean, that they're already setting the table on that front. Yeah. yeah. Now, you mentioned Joe Biden uh, saying that it was over. When questioned about it, his press secretary said, no, he didn't mean that. <laughs> and, and it's like, he said it twice. He said it twice. And, he, and they're like, no, no, he was distracted by the bright lights and all the shiny cars at the Detroit Auto Show. <laughs> and, and it's like, oh, my God. Uh, but there's there's something I quickly want to touch on before we wrap this up. In the, and, and it's to do with um, Poliev here. Uh, because he, he's been ringing the alarm bell here about the carbon tax and how... The federal government's plan is to eventually triple it. And, you know, that's not going to take very long if they keep bumping it up by 20% every year. And that's what's happening come this spring, is they're going to be bumping it up another 20%. Now, I have some numbers here 
from Parliamentary Budget Officer Yves Giroux. He is the financial watchdog for taxpayers' dollars, right? Now, Giroux, now Trudeau claims that 80% of households are better off financially because of the carbon tax because they receive a bigger rebate than the amount they put in. Now, Yves Giroux says, no, that's not true. 60% of households paying the carbon tax end up worse off financially despite the rebates. In 2024, Ontario, it'll be 80% of households in Ontario that'll be worse off. And in Alberta, in 2028, it'll, 80% of the households will be worse, worse off. Um, wow. Now, according to Yves Giroux, the average household in Ontario this year is paying $360 more in carbon taxes than it gets back in rebates. Alberta, Alberta is $671 more than they receive in rebates. Wow. And as of next April 1st, and I love that the carbon tax increase is always on April Fool's. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's going to raise, the increase will be 20%, and that will mean that in Ontario, the average household in Ontario will go from $360 to $490 that they'll be spending more in carbon tax than they get back in rebates. And in Alberta, it's going to go from $671 to $847. Wow. Now, Manitoba will be $402, and Saskatchewan will be $500 more. Like, this is not, you know, what, you know, Trudeau is flat out lying. It's not even that he's, you know, confused or, or under the impression of, or that, it, that the numbers can even be skewed to figure this, this out. Like, like, this is flat out lying. Now, just so you know, like 2030 is when Trudeau wants the carbon tax to be $170 per ton. Now, here are the numbers for 2030, which is eight years away, people. Not even seven, less, just over seven years away. The average Ontario household will be paying $1,461 more in carbon tax than they get in rebates. In Alberta, it'll be $2,282 more. In Manitoba, $1,145 more. In Saskatchewan, $1,464 more. Those numbers are insane. Wow. And that is just over seven years away. Yeah, so you wonder why that uh, Pierre Paul Yev rails against the carbon tax. And you wonder why his support is rising. Yeah. Okay, so now, now that you've laid out that whole case, Lewis, I think it's a lot easier to see that there really could be an election in the offing because, especially with the fact that, you know, according to the polls, and I know polls are always kind of sketchy, but it's, it's there's a trend, and a clear trend is that the Liberal support is dropping, and more so the Liberal support under Justin Trudeau is dropping. So if he wants that that cherished fourth mandate in a row, yeah, I guess he better get on it. He better get on it, but I think it's too late. And so when I said that I think there could be an election this fall, I still think it's possible, but I don't. But I actually think that it's the chances of it happening are dropping uh, with every passing week just because if there is no chance that they're even going to win a minority, I think the Liberals just want to hold on to power for as long as possible, and they've got three years left in their mandate. Well, true, and I know that, that we had speculated probably a month or more ago that, well, they would 
possibly look at fall lockdowns in case there was another COVID wave and then utilize that as an opportunity for election. But that doesn't look like that's in the offing either. No, no, I don't either. So it's, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't, I can't see an election. I think you make a good case for one. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if Justin Trudeau went that route, but yeah, I'm still not convinced we're going to see an election yet. I, I wouldn't be surprised if we saw a spring election before uh, the increase in carbon tax and the increase in the, the liquor tax and tobacco tax, which all happen with that escalator tax on April 1st as well. Well, January 1st, we're going to be seeing a CPP and EI increase as well. That's true, and the clean fuel standard will be coming in early next year as well because they delayed that from the end of this year. So, Yeah. That's another carbon tax. So, Yeah, which just means... I mean, you see the record prices at the pumps we had this summer. I mean, it's the prices have come down since then, but they're still like that. That the problem is, is that when you get super high prices and then they drop back like twenty percent, they're still fifty percent higher than they were last year. Oh yeah, for sure. So. Right, but people are like so conditioned to the over two dollars a liter that. A dollar seventy is is nothing now. Like they go, oh uh, yeah, that's that's no holy man, that's nowhere near as bad as it was this summer, you know. Like and they get used to it. Yeah, that's right. But they but they forget that it was a dollar twenty last year. Yeah, exactly. So uh, so really, to, well, hate to wrap this up on on a downer, but if we don't see an election soon, we're we're our life's going to get that much more expensive and. We have to rely on Pierre Polyev keeping his word that he will eliminate the carbon tax, et cetera, et cetera. But I, I think we have no choice but to take his word for it and bring him in in a landslide. Yeah, I mean, we this country desperately needs change, and we desperately uh, we need someone who's going to, you know, have integrity. And I hope that I hope that. Polyev is that man. Yeah, I hope so too. So uh, we'll leave it there, Canada. I do want want to thank you for joining us. And again, our thoughts go out to everybody out in the East Coast. Stay safe out there and hope you get uh, everything, your power back on and get life back in order as quickly as possible. So until next week, it is Tony in Saskatchewan. And Lewis out here in BC. Good night. Good night, Canada. and Tony.